Hello, and welcome to the Dental Education Podcast with Class Solutions. This podcast is a community of dental professionals who share their knowledge and experience in order to provide value to you and your dental practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Cole, also known as the K in Class. This episode is a recording from the Cover Your Assets seminar held on April 30th, 2020. We hope this podcast brings you a lot of valuable information and that you enjoy it. The the thing that I know that we're getting a ton of kickback on is the employees that are having issues with wanting to go back uh, because of one, the unemployment and two, uh, because of the PPE situation. So for the dentists that are on, you know, do you, as far as unemployment wise, Chris, can you say something on that order to help relieve maybe whatever questions they have on how to handle that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, we've heard of issues just still people in Indiana still have not uh, gotten any money from the unemployment all the way up to, um, you know, folks are, are getting more paid more to be on unemployment and, and the health concerns and the children's situations. I mean, it's just, they, they don't want to come back right now. Um, and so you're forced as a business owner, you know, if, especially if you took that PPP money, you know, you need to get payroll. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're forced to just make a decision on uh, move forward with a different hygienist or, uh, just do your own hygiene, um, you know, but there's, there's just so many other moving parts to that decision that, uh, you know, I guess my, my recommendation would just be, you know, crunch the numbers to really uh, factor in what is going to be the forgiveness. Um, but even then, there's a lot, there's still a lot of question marks uh, on that regards. Um, but um, I don't know if I answer your question, but it's, uh, it's not an easy one. And I, I, I definitely, uh, feel the stress of clients and, and other dentists that I talk to uh, about that decision. Um, there is no right or wrong. And so you just kind of have to go with your gut sometimes and make the best decision that you can with the information available. So I guess one of the things though that I, that I hear all the time is the doctors want to know, can you do, can you have them on unemployment and still give them PPE? Or I mean, PPP, sorry, you got to get a Right. Yeah. So if you're going to put them on payroll, then the, the uh, unemployment benefits will be reduced. And at some point they will just be zero and gone away. The point of the PPP is to bring everybody back and compensate them roughly what they were making before the virus uh, pandemic. So, um, you know, if you're going to put them on PPE, you're going to pay them in that regards, they're going to lose their unemployment benefits. So then Joe on the, you know, legal side, uh, we've seen people sit there and say, you know, if they're not going to come back, you know, do I still have to continue to pay unemployment or can I report that as refusal to come back to work? You know, I know that this isn't totally your sector of things, but with your law firm and stuff, have you gotten any kind of idea of, of what the best way is of handling this? Uh, no, it's, it's not my sector. Uh, I, I haven't seen any in guidance from our law firm on that, but just thinking about it right now, uh, you know, some of the things that I would be worried about and, and thinking about too, when you got an employee that's refusing to come back to work and you're ultimately thinking about maybe letting that employee go or terminating that employee, uh, we just don't know right now, uh, where the EOC is going to be going with COVID and whether it invokes any sort of disability discrimination under the ADA. So uh, just, just be careful as you go through that process. Um, but in terms of whether or not that employee can still collect unemployment, I, I, I'm just, it's not my expertise, I don't know. Okay, so you know, we pushed out and I think most people, um, I think most people have, have uh, you know, seen it one way or the other, but we posted the new ADA, um, you know, suggestions for PPE and, and so forth like that. Um, one of the suggestions is, of course, testing all the patients um, and then, of course, testing the employees. What What's your feedback on that, Joe? Because I know that I had a dentist ask me, I don't want my front uh, desk business people 
who are doing non-clinical activities throughout the day that he says the minute they take temperature, that's considered a clinical act from a non-clinical person. Is this the kind of, I mean, is there something there that needs to be worried about on that stage or, or what? So testing patients that come in, um, I mean, that, that certainly can be problematic and just thinking about this off, off the cuff. I mean, patient certainly doesn't have to accept the testing, but by the same token, the dentist or the employer can refuse to treat the patient. From an employer-employee perspective, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but the governor of Ohio recently made a comment that all employers should test their employees every day before work, right? Um, so that's something that certainly invokes the Americans with Disabilities Act because any sort of medical examination or medical questions being asked, um, you're going to invoke that law. And the EOC recently uh, issued guidance on, it's, it's titled something like the ADA and COVID-19 and, and what do you do? Um, and I read that the other day. And some of the things that, that I took away from the guidance are this. Um, employers are certainly entitled to ask uh, their employees about any COVID-related symptoms that they're experiencing, but you gotta be careful and remember that you don't wanna cross into the, quote, disability arena, asking them about their underlying health conditions. Um, the EOC has said that you can check your employees' temperatures, uh, current employees' temperatures, and new employees too, so long as they have a conditional job offer. Uh, again, whether that's going to happen, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, and then if you got employees that refuse to do the testing that their employer wants to do, uh, the employer can send them home and bar them from the workplace because they have the ability to protect their work environment and any reasonable suspicion that employee has COVID or COVID-related symptoms is a direct threat to the workforce. So you can still comply with the ADA and send that, that employee home. Um, kind of in closing, the EOC, as I, as I said earlier, they still haven't labeled COVID a disability yet uh, because there's just not enough information out there about that. Um, so there's just, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolving landscape right now. There's just so many different legal issues that are coming up from the employee-employer perspective that I can't stress enough. Just reach out to to your attorney if you have one and walk through the process if you have any questions whatsoever. The last thing you want to do is get hit with a disability discrimination lawsuit or something like that. Okay. Uh, I got a question from Jackie and she says, I'm in Michigan. My PPE loan was just approved, but we haven't signed on it yet. I'm worried about when I will have to put my staff on payroll when we are not able to work yet. Advice, deny the loan for now, Chris. Oof. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, that's such a that's such a loaded question, uh, and it, it, there's there's uh, I mean it's really there's pros and cons to each way, and you're just gonna have to pick the lesser of two evils. Uh, so I'm assuming that uh, that that this uh, attendee is in Michigan, um, and so you know depending on when they're going to come back, I mean that is going to if you delay bringing them back off off unemployment then that's going to impact your forgiveness. And there's still language out there that's not clear whether, you know, if you meet the 75% towards payroll uh, threshold, or if you don't meet that, is the forgiveness zero, or is it just pro uh, prorated down on the forgiveness? We're still waiting on, on language to clarify that penalty. And so, you know, are you willing to sacrifice the retention credit um, for the larger benefit of the PPP and, uh, and again, I mean, I would just uh, put together the forgiveness uh, calculations and try to, to figure out, you know, really what is the exact amount that, that, that could be forgiven um, if it were just a pro rata. And then if it's zero, are you willing to, or I mean, are you okay sacrificing that amount if you don't, if the forgiveness is zero? Does that make sense? It's a, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. Yeah, I there's yeah, I don't think that I think what are so what are your feelings? I mean, since you're doing taxes and you're dealing with the IRS all the time, 
I mean, my, I guess my big thing is, is since there's all we hear all the time is the language isn't clear, the language isn't clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, does eventually people just get stuck with this or is there something where eventually the government, after it all kind of starts to iron out, the government will do some other type of situation to, because there's been dentists like Jackie just got hers um, and isn't quite sure. But I, I know that we've had clients that jumped on board the, the second that, that the site opened up and are talking about that they got the money and, and blah, blah, blah. And I know that you know, at the time it was, there was a ton of insecurity of what the wording was and stuff. I mean, what is your, I mean, just for me, I always look at it as a, so what happens if they did jump on it right away? Or what happens if Jackie did go on this and now they make the, they change the wording or something down the road? Do you find that they, do they, yeah, they have. So do you (laughs) find that they eventually circle back so that these guys don't have to be too worried and they could you know try to make a decision or what yeah i mean i wish i had the answer i've worked with joe and his team to try to figure out the best solutions but they keep moving the goalpost and uh, you're and it's incredibly frustrating you know from an from an accountant standpoint that you know we want to provide concrete answers uh or you know a better solution um, but the fact is that i mean there's just not a whole lot of clarity right now uh, and it's frustrating because you as dentists are being forced to make decisions today without all of the information and all of the, uh, the, the, the clear impact that it's going to have down the road. Um, incredibly frustrating. I get it. I share in that frustration. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you're just it's a risk game. I mean, how much are you willing how much risk are you willing to tolerate and uh, and, and just deal with the consequences down the road? Um, but I guess in your case, Jackie, you know, I would try to uh, extend the closing as long as possible. And, and I, I believe that's the 10 day rule from the date of approval until you can, uh, the, the funds need to be dispersed. And so try to stretch it out that as, as far out as you can. Uh, if you want to go ahead and take the PPP money. I mean, we have really seen all, all spectrums of this decision from they're turning down the money and they're not taking idle all the way up to they're taking both and, you know, they're just sitting on it, wait, you know, and they're going to gamble that the forgiveness is going to be pro rata versus zero. So we are all across the board on, on decisions with clients. Well, um, thanks, uh, um, Jackie, for that question. If you got any more, feel free to send it once again. Uh, so Scott, um, this is a question for you, uh, since you're dealing in the technology world and so forth, got off, uh, with a doctor today and was discussing kind of falling into the, you know, the, the world is, is coming to an end, uh, type mentality. And as I was talking to him, I was trying to make sure that he understood that, you know, one of the big things is, is staying in, you know, in contact with your, uh, your team, stay in contact with your patients, let them know that, you know, you're doing, you know, the certain things that need to be done. And uh, he basically said, how am I supposed to do that? Um, you know, I, a lot of, what are, what are some suggestions that you have? Because I, I, of course, gave him my suggestions, but what are some of the easiest things that they could do for uh, reaching out to these people? Yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an awesome point. So, um, you know, obviously the dental world in general, for those that don't know me, is, is uh, very intimate for me. My, my, my father was a dentist for 36 years here in the greater Grand Rapids area. Uh, my grandfather was a dentist in Sault Ste. Marie in the UP. Um, so, you know, and, and just obviously, again, very, very important to me. So, um, yeah, what I've, again, just in general for, for, all types of businesses and people. And, and again, everybody keeping their sanity, right? It's these types of sessions. Hey, we might, we're, we're, we're able to do kind of face to face. We're not in person, but this at least keeps us a little bit, you know, normalcy. And um, so there's a lot of really cool programs. You know, C3, we partner with a bunch of diff- different programs. Uh, I think Phil and I were talking about earlier is uh, that you can do video conferencing on. So um, you know, the, whether it be Zoom, whether it be Ring Central, whether it be uh, Microsoft Teams, um, there's a new Facebook platform that's coming out that's going to be, uh, I think, free for the first 60 days. Um, and a lot of these programs, too, again, they're, they're offering it for 
for free for people to get into it, try it out, let them kind of drink the Kool-Aid, taste it, uh, and, and understand it. And, and the world of telemedicine in general is, as probably a lot of you guys know, is just exploding right now too. Uh, I think obviously the dental world is a little bit more unique because you know of what what you know the intimacy and and, and things that are involved with it. Uh, but again, at least having those conversations with patients, with staff, um, with whomever, um, because when when we come out of this, it's it, again it, it, we we want to try to get back to normalcy. But again, whether it be have weekly phone sessions with your with your employees um, or with or with having some type of you know face face to face interaction with people that have these types of emergencies. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, when we my my son banged his front tooth. He's four years old, and he was running around banging his front tooth. And and a couple of days later, it looked like it was getting abscessed. So obviously, I had my dad come over and check it out. But then we did a FaceTime session with with our dentist too to to kind of t take a peek and see. All right, hey, let's get out of antibiotics. Let's see what we don't know. It doesn't look like anything too crazy. Let's just you know keep an eye on things rather than just rushing to the the nearest dental emergency place. Um, but yeah, again, the 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 face-to-face -face interaction and, and pieces, the tools, the technology tools, they're out there. And a lot of them are giving away the services and, and things like that for free. You know, Google just came out again, we're talking about their new uh, their new platform. And, and so all there's a lot out there um, and, and it's just identifying, you know, what's the best fit, what people like, you know, I use four or five different platforms for different meetings and calls. I'm doing, you know, 50 WebEx calls a week with, with, with clients and, and folks. So it's like you jump from one to the other and they're all, they're all pretty easy to use and manage. Uh, and again, like I said, most of them are for free right now, or at least offering, you know, 30 to 60 to 90, 90 days where these, you know, the, the vendors and manufacturers just want, they want to help out, right? They want to help people have the face-to-face uh, -face interaction. And again, if it makes sense, you know, to keep that product in, in three months when things are a little bit more back to normal, but at least, you know, for the time being, it, it does a lot to be able to do that um, on a day-to-day on a -day or week-to-week -week basis. But so. Awesome. Um, Noah, uh, getting a ton of people once again, now that, uh, you know, some of them have had landlords and so forth, given some forgiveness. Uh, but now that we're getting closer, states are starting to open up. Now people are starting to call, ask me, all right, what do I do in the situation? So, I mean, basically in a nutshell, what opportunities are you seeing that are currently uh, available for, you know, and is the leasing spaces available? Are those kind of things opening back up? Yeah, I think that's what uh, we've been occupying our time with uh, while everybody's been at home is what can you do to, to you know, conserve and, and cut costs and maybe analyzing your lease is one of those things you can do right now, right? So um, we haven't seen landlords uh, get to a point of desperation themselves, even with maybe giving some rent abatements and things like that. But um, it is a great time to have a look at it, uh, explore the market, see where rates are. Maybe you're high again, even if you can try to renegotiate, even if it's early, uh, extend your term. There's all kinds of things you can do uh, because the landlord's looking for security too right now, right? So um, that's what we've been doing is just uh, analyzing uh, dentist leases and seeing if we can't help them shave off a little bit of rent here or there. Again, we're sort of past that initial wave of conversations with tenants talking to landlords, trying to get some reprieve. I, I've been advising people, if you can pay rent, keep paying rent. Um, and, and there's goodwill that comes from that, right? The landlord's always keeping score, guys. So if you can, if you can afford to pay rent, keep paying it. Um, if you can't, then I've, I've found that most landlords have been reasonable. But again, um, have, it your, have a look at your lease, talk to a professional who knows the market, find out um, now if you haven't taken time before how it stacks up, are you overpaying? And if you are, um, then it's time to have a conversation with the landlord. Even if you're not due yet, if, you're, if your lease isn't coming up for renewal, uh, even in a year, if you're under five years and you plan on being there long-term, uh, there could be an opportunity to to renegotiate. Just again, the trade-off is that landlord gets that security for long-term tenancy while uh, while we're all sort of waiting for what's next. So Daniel, then on, when it comes to the finances, once again, I had three phone calls with Dennis and they kind of all 
seem to fall into everybody's kind of category this morning or today. And, you know, doctor is basically on the fear train of what am I going to do with my practice? And, you know, he has said that, um, you know, I've got to start cutting all kinds of things. And he was going to do a project with his house. He was going to do, uh, he was talking about certain things with stocks. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was, but I'm cutting all that out. And, and so what are some of the things just on a financial basis to kind of, you know, some things that they should do just to make sure that, you know, you're not falling into, I think what I see this last week is really starting to pull out the panic people versus, you know, the, we'll keep moving along. What do you do? What do you do for the panic person? Uh, so, slow them down. <laughs> yeah, slow them down and and really kind of reassess. And and what we're spending a lot of time doing is just um, forecasting. You know, you gotta you gotta relook at things and and say, do I want to feel this? in retirement. If this, if COVID-27 comes up when you go to retire and we have this same type of thing, how much do you want to have in guaranteed income? How much do you need to have in safe cash um, so that you don't have worries about market downturns, even, even up to a 50% market downturn? Um, from Northwestern Mutual's perspective, they look at things, they, they tested their um, general portfolio out against 500,000 deaths, 50% market downturn and 0% interest rates from the Fed. Um, and, and they have those kind of testings. I mean, as a individual, that's, that's kind of what you have to look at your plan now and, and test against that to say, am I strong enough financially to be able to withhold, withstand a 30% market downturn? And most of the time, it's the people that just have investment strategies um, that are the ones panicking right now because everything that they have is in the market and they did not have, they don't have a three to five year cash plan. So a lot of our conversations right now are built around how do we build a midterm, long-term safe cash bucket of money um, to cover fixed expenses long-term and also short-term. Because a lot of this, I mean, Chris and I and, and you, you see a lot of these offices that didn't keep enough cash on hand. So it's how do we, how do we get the business to have enough cash on hand as well along with your personal budget, making sure that you have an emergency account because it's not just dentists from that perspective that don't have the emergency fund. It's, it's, it's America in general. Um, and I would say right now we're, we're strongly encouraging people to get three to six months worth of fixed expenses put away, locked away in a safe place where you're not going to touch it for this purpose and this purpose alone. Well, it's kind of, funny, kind of funny that you say that because um, we uh, turn around and, of course, uh, Nancy can attest to this because when we do our assessments and stuff, one of the things that we look at is a break-even point. Chris, I know that you know we talk about back and forth with break-even points all the time uh, with our clients, and it's um, very interesting that over the last week, I would say that I have had to have had phone calls with doctors um, and I would say it, I could safely say at least 30 different doctors and every time I've asked them, you know, because they have questions of how do I do, you know, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to handle that? Um, and then you turn around and ask them, well, first of all, where's your cash flow? Where's the, where's your break even point? I think out of those 30, I had two that have done a break-even point. And Nancy, I mean, with us doing assessments, I mean, how often do we run across when we do an assessment that you do not have somebody that knows what a break-even point is? Oh. 
Nancy. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, it, it's a majority of the time they don't even even know what a break-even point is, or if they do know it, um, they're maybe setting goals for their practice not based on it, and they don't have the money that they're actually paying out in incentives. And I think the the other category that I find uh, in all of this is that the uh, the way that their categories in their P&L, uh, they're not. They, they, they had um, what was one of them, Phil? Remember we had the um, uh, um, uh, maintenance, I think it was, in the salaries or uh, just the categories were all mixed up, and so therefore all the percentages are off as well. So that's something that has to be looked at, and there's opportunity there to to save as well if they're not tracking, um, you know, where their new patients came from, for an example. And one doctor um, was spending three thousand dollars a month on sending out um, Groupons, these kind of cards that encourage new patients to come to the practice, but it was he was getting no return on that. And so by looking through the P&L, we start looking at some of these uh, specific topics and are able to help them even cut back costs, if so be it. Chris, you got any comments on, on the break-even point? Oh, absolutely. Um... And I mean, this is the ultimate stress test for your business and personal financial plan, I feel like. And uh, Dan, I mean, I, I know when you bring on a, a, a new client or even a prospect, I mean, there's a risk assessment there. And so anybody that's that felt like they were uh, able to withstand the risk and that, uh, of a 25% drop, and how did that feel this past few months, you know? And so is it, do they need to adjust their financial plan? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to just let the dust settle from this uh, virus pandemic to really evaluate, you know, what, what can we improve on from the business perspective? And so we typically, you know, want to see 30 to 45 days of cash. You know, do we want to increase that to 60 days now? Uh, you know, it kind of depends on the cash flow of the practice. But yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, uh, you know, I feel like accounting is really just a linchpin to everything. I mean, we've got to have all this information dialed in so that you can make good business decisions in, in times like this. And if, you're, if your accounting just isn't there or you don't have the data or the ability to analyze your business or cash flow, um, you know, you're at a big disadvantage. So I just, I just want to add one thing too. I mean, I think a lot of these guys that we run into are using, in fairness, they're using accountants and stuff that are patients and they're, they just don't know what the true value is. And if this is, this is making everybody open their eyes to understand that they got to get everything in order. I mean, hopefully it's a wake up call to everybody to make sure that they've got dental specific um, people on their team that know this animal called dentistry that that it is because it's its own animal. It's, it's not necessarily like any other business. So um, you got to have guys that understand what's going on. And that's, I mean, that's why Chris is as good as what he is uh, and what he does because he lives it and breathes it along with the dentist. So if we can have clear numbers from a financial planning perspective, now, now we just got to match the emotion and you know, if we can match the emotion to to clear, understood budgetary numbers, it makes it makes the stress load on the client very, very, very low. For sure. I mean, the 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 stress level on clients that are flush with cash and they've been prepared for this is night and day between the 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 doctor that has low cash flow and I mean, we've we've unfortunately have both ends of that spectrum as well. So then the other question is, uh, Jason um, got off with, uh, once again, another one of the, the fear mongers. Um, and it was, I'll never recover from this. Um, when I brought up marketing, uh, that person said to me, that's the last thing I'm going to be worrying about and spending my money on. But yet, once again, to me, kind of that, uh, you know, I don't think that you're realizing you know, what, what you're going to have happen to you six months to a year from now, if you were to cancel that, what's your suggestion on, on just the marketing aspect? Yeah. Great question. Um, 
you know, we, we look at marketing from a couple of different angles. One is obviously the growth aspect of a practice. What can you put into motion to help a practice get growing? We also look at it almost like an insurance policy for times like these. Um, because if, if you're marketing properly um, for an extended period of time, and, and Dan, to, to your point, dental is definitely a specific animal, so to speak, as a business, and that applies to marketing. It, it, um, there's a lag time uh, for sure in how marketing efforts work because people make a decision People make a decision on a dentist maybe a couple times a year, as opposed to other businesses. They make decisions every day on a certain type of business. So um, that all being said, there's several different ways to approach marketing and to think about it. Um, and it can be as simple as what can I do from a messaging standpoint, from a foundational branding standpoint, a bandwidth standpoint, to make sure that I have a solid foundation. I think hearing all you talk, that's something that keeps coming up is just centering your foundation and understanding where you're at, what you can do, what you can't do. Um, and, and the same applies to marketing. Um, I think messaging will be really important uh, to your patient base in the next handful of weeks, especially as, as uh, practices get the word they can reopen. Um, getting something out to your current patient base making sure that your your brand and your website and the foundation and the function of all those things is is operating the way it should because there's going to be a level of um i think consumer confidence that um that's going to be in higher demand from people so when they come interact with your website or your brand or your social media is it inspiring confidence in you and your team in your office um so they come through those doors or is it is it not i, I think that's something to think about and take a look at and then um, uh, to, the, to the folks that are nervous about spending money on outgoing marketing, that's absolutely a valid concern. Um, so any sort of outgoing marketing that, that's being planned or thought about in the coming months um, just needs to be really strategic. Um, um, uh, we see it a lot uh, where we have a lot of practices we talk to that are trying to do some serious marketing, but it's a lot of uh, try this for 30 days and no, 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 try this for 30 days. I think moving forward, really having a plan and a reason why you do certain types of marketing and when are you going to do it and how's it going to be executed and tracked, that is going to be more critical than ever, I think, moving forward. Yeah, just to expand on that, uh, you know, we've about half and half. I mean, uh, we've, we've, that one half of our client base has been really promoting, hey, we're doing this. Uh, we're implementing this air filtration system, this air purification, whatever those are called, uh, you know, to really ease the, the, the concerns of patients and staff and, I mean, uh, and everything. And it's, it's too early to really measure uh, the impact of that, uh, you know, for, you know, for when, the, when everything reopens. But, I mean, I guess it, it really comes down to who can afford it as well. And so if you've, if you've planned properly and you've, uh, you are able to capitalize on these opportunities, um, you know, I, I, I tend to think that the, those folks that, that are able to spend on those, uh, the, those marketing efforts uh, will come out ahead. Uh, but like I said, it's too early to measure that. Right. Yeah, I agree that I think it's too, it, it's going to be a little bit too early, but also, uh, Nancy, you got to agree with me. We've all, we always say, right, perception is reality. And, you know, right now, what perception, what perception are you giving your, your patient base if you're not reaching out to them, if you're not, you know, giving them maybe the updates or so forth? Because like, like I said, the doctor I spoke to this morning, um, he, his comment was as, why do I want to reach out to my patients because they're overloaded with all this fear mongering stuff and, the, and all this bad stuff. But yet he's like, what am I going to do besides just turn around and tell them the same thing they're hearing on the news because I don't have anything good to say to them. And I'm like, well, that's, that's unfortunately, that's not how you want to have, that's not how you want to react to it. It's perception, right? It's like you are doing these things for your patients and you're taking, you know, advantage of that. You know, Nancy, you got anything to add to that? Um, it, and even more so than that, keeping in touch with your own team. There's some dentists haven't even reached out to anybody, their hygienists, their assistants. What are their fears so that you can meet and expectations to return to work and make sure that you can meet that? Um, but 
with the patients, it doesn't even have to be anything about COVID-19. It's just reaching out in a humanitarian way. You know, how are you doing? Is, is everything okay in your home? So uh, really important for that to happen. I, I see some dentists, I, I know one dental office in particular, they have no plan at all. They're just going to wait for the call to open and then, then you know what's going to happen. It, it's going to, you know, the it's going to hit the fan. Put it that way. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. So, yeah, from a, uh, I just wanted to add to all that from a marketing because in Ohio, their uh, practices are supposed to be open tomorrow. Uh, so everybody's kind of scrambling to figure out what is what is their plan going to be to keep themselves safe, their staff safe everybody from a marketing perspective in our opinion makes a lot of sense to start communicating that plan not only to your patients but to potential new patients because um i'll tell you what if my wife and i need to to go see a new dentist or, or our son go to a practice um we will probably respond to practices that are putting out a message pretty quickly about what they're doing um, with procedures and all that uh, to keep us all safe. So I, I think there's some marketing opportunity there once once the practice kind of figure out what their what their new world's going to look like in the, the coming weeks. So I was I've got a dentist here locally that has been putting out video, you know, minute and a half, just kind of keeping everybody updated in the community on you know what what's going on with their practice and stuff like that it's gotten it doesn't necessarily have to do with covid but really i mean it's it's getting your name in front of i'm just speaking from a patient perspective i mean i i like it because i see the guy i get to see the practice i get to see the inside i get to see how neat his desk is and his office is and and see whether or not that's a guy i would want to go do dentistry with i mean you know that's that's cheap marketing, man. To put pop it out on Facebook and just put a put a two minute video out there, just to, and he does that once a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. So, yep, it's great. So, question: uh, Joe, you're representing sellers, buyers for dental acquisitions. You said you have prior to COVID nineteen practices were selling upwards of eighty to eighty five percent. Some even hit ninety. Is COVID basically going to make a, an impact on the premium sellers? I, I think that basically, uh, and you know, I think it, it also include, we need to include real estate with that too, Noah, is, but my, and Chris, feel free to cut in, but my opinion on, on whether or not the value of a practice is going to go down is still going to be mainly based off of what the practice is made up of. You know, is is the practice financials in good order? Not like what Nancy and I said, where you when you're turning around and getting in a client that was working on the break-even point, that they have their wages and their repairs and maintenance all under one thing. So we can't, you, you know, you got to go through whatever it is to, you know, all the pulling of that out to find out actually what that practice is. Which then in returns, when you're looking at that P&L, it also, I guarantee you, correlates to what the practice is doing. So once again, attraction to the practice, you know, do, will the value go down? I think my personal opinion is, is it's going to depend on the bounce back of this COVID. Um, you know, are we going to, like Ohio is going straight back, right? where there's talks in other states where they're going to let the doctors come back for a month and hygiene might not come back for, you know, a month to two. Those kind of things are going to probably, I, I, well, they are going to make an, a, a massive impact as far as I'm concerned on the practice itself. But I think that it's the kickback that's going to be, uh, is going to be the major factor uh, for that, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of conversation where doctors are sitting there talking about, you know, I'm selling the practice now. Uh, well, if you just let go of the practice now, I'm going to tell you that you're going to lose. My opinion is, is you are going to lose value on that practice because you are not allowing for the major thing in a dental practice is goodwill. If you're going to dump the practice right now, 
and you're walking away as the way these guys talk, right? I want nothing to do with the practice anymore. You're killing the goodwill of the practice. Um, if you're not going to walk in that door again, and it's going to be a, what I would consider a true absolute walk away where I'm signing a letter to the patient saying, you know, Joe Buck is taken over from this point. Um, I just, that, that kills, that kills the goodwill. And so that really is going to affect to me, the, the price of the practice as far, Chris, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, it, it would be ideal to let this settle, but at the same time, you know, it, uh, we're going to have to see how everybody responds or patients going to come back. Um, you know, are the, the new protocols going to prohibit uh, the, the patient flow coming in? I mean, are you going to be able to see as many hygiene patients? And so, uh, but overall, you know, I think if, you know, if you're, if you're a dentist and you find an, uh, the perfect practice, I mean, there's no perfect practice, but I guess a, a great practice uh, for you and you've been searching your entire career, um, you know, yeah, this is a, this is a blip uh, in, the, in the dental economic world, but, um, you know, I don't know that I would let that prohibit you from moving forward. We do have sales that are in the process and that, you know, the sellers are giving some concessions uh, more so now than uh, before the virus, um, you know, just to, just to get this deal done. And I think the big thing is too, is, is, and I'm sorry, no, and then I'll let you mention the real estate, but I think the other big thing too is, is this comes back into some of the things when it comes to the, you know, the value of the practice or what you're going to look at the practices is one of the big things is retention you know, like Chris just mentioned too, are all the patients going to come back, you know, so what was the practice before? And even when you buy it and a buyer is doing the due diligence on that practice, that's one of the things that you definitely should be looking at, right? What's the retention? Because it doesn't really matter how great of a marketing program that Jason puts together. If he's bringing in 40 new patients, you know, a, a month or 60 new patients a month, but the practice is losing 45 every month on the back end, then once again, that retention really starts to play a part in the value of the practice because there's no, you're really uh, not closing the back door. Um, so, but as far as real estate, Noah, do you feel as though anything on that order is gonna, gonna change? Um, again, still wait and see with some of these landlords and sellers. Um, Obviously, if the dentist owns the practice and is selling, I think that, you know, we'll see maybe their level of, of uh, desperation, if you will, in terms of how they're dealing with the practice. Maybe that would mirror um, what they want to do with the, with the building. But I'm, I'm in a situation right now where I'm working with uh, the buyer of practice who's asked me to help with lease negotiation. What's really hurt this particular doc is that the selling doctor just signed was pressured by his landlord to sign a new five-year extension um and it's taken <clears throat> all of the uh the young buyers um leverage away because he's basically saying well i want to expand this practice right away after i buy it um and the landlord's basically holding firm we don't have a lot of negotiating power because he can't move that practice even if he wanted to, right? So that's just kind of a side note for anybody who might be a seller who's, who's listening here is, um, you know, if you can help it, try to wait and allow that purchasing doc to, <clears throat> to negotiate a lease with the landlord that's suitable to them, not just um, signing one yourself and then, and then getting out of it or assigning it to uh, that, that purchaser. You're, you're putting the purchaser in a tough spot. Um, but aside from that, I mean, there is still leverage. Again, that not much has changed in terms of how we might negotiate either the, uh, a purchase or a lease. Uh, my experience with a few people that I'm working with currently has been that um, they know these are long-term plans, right? So there are, I am working with some folks who are buying real estate now, knowing that it's, they're going to be holding it for 20, 30 years, and they could weather multiple economic storms. Um, rates are still uh, low. I know right now some of these banks are on hold, but if you're in the system, so to speak, um, then they're still approving those loans uh, to the best of my knowledge. 
So Joe, since you asked the question and you do work with buyers and sellers and, and working with all of the, uh, the transaction itself, what are you, what are you finding? Um, I'm finding that both buyers and sellers are cautiously optimistic. Uh, the deals that I had that are that are going on are are somewhat delayed and on hold. I mean, they're not. No one's really walking away at this point. We're just trying to wait to see where things open up again. Um, but in terms of, you know, I've got a few new engagements over the last two or three weeks uh, for buyers. So I mean, that's that's a good sign. Again, the closing on the deals probably going to happen a few months from now. Uh, but no one's really walking away from this um, completely. And I, and I think, I don't think that'll change. So then I guess this is for every, it can be for everyone. Um, one of the questions that I've, I've gotten personally too, and since we're all kind of dealing with the doctors, do you think this is going to, this, with this COVID, do you think that there is going to be an uptick in startups period? Who wants to take the first, who wants to start that one? Joe, I'll go with you. It's a good question. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm still, like I said, a lot of these new engagements that I've been getting are, are people buying. They want to buy right now. They're not, they're not interested in the startup. So um, I don't know. Noah would probably be the appropriate one to ask for that. I, you know, I. What are you getting, I, Noah? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, we, I'm involved with a lot of startups, certainly. Um, there's probably way more startups going on than people realize sometimes, but um, Swisher might be a, a good one to ask too. But I, I think it depends on, are, are there going to be fire sales of practices, right? Are, are people, I mean, Phil, those who aren't under advisement of um, practice brokers and such, uh, who aren't taking any professional advice, are, are there going to be panic sales and people just saying, you know, I, I went through a downturn 10 years ago. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this again. Uh, I've heard a little bit of that mentality going on out there. But um, I think, you know, a lot of part of the reason people start up is because they gave up trying to find a practice. Right. So I think a lot of that depends on how many practices are out there, because right now in, in Metro Detroit, for example, you know, I've heard a number like for every practice that's for sale, there's there's 15 people buying for it. You know, so what is that going to look like? Um, so I think for half of the people who are look who are starting up a practice, those, those people gave up on trying to buy trying to buy a practice because they just lost too many opportunities and said, "I'm just going to start." Or then the other half is those who are just entrepreneurs who said, "You know, I'm tired of working for somebody else, or this is a dream I had." So um, the interesting thing will be to see is what do interest rates? How did what do they do? They're going to maintain or they're going to go up. Um, how much will the market be affected? Will construction costs come back down because there's less work? I mean, that's what's going to, that's the wait and see part of this. Construction costs are so high right now. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and it also depends on the practice. If, is it a practice that you're going to buy for $500,000 and it needs another 250 of equipment and technology? I mean, it's, that's a tough question too. I think it can be case specific, but I, I'm wondering the same thing, but those are just my thoughts. I guess I am um, somebody who works with a lot of startups. Um, the ones I've been working with who have sort of pushed pause, haven't changed their minds. I think, you know, as I've communicated with them, they intend to sort of pick up where we left off or they know it's going to be 12 months before their business is open. And they have the confidence that, Hey, We'll have, even though it might not be exactly as it was in March when all this went down, um, there'll be a new normal and people will still be getting, you know, care. Jason, what do you, I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, um, we're still seeing um, a lot of docs out. So, so we do demographic studies. We have this special real-time demographic data we run as part of our marketing and we do it to help doctors find areas to start practices. We're still seeing a good amount of doctors out there 
still going through their process of trying to find places to open a dental office. Um, we're still getting a lot of those requests. Um, we've got a lot of clients that we advise leading into buying a practice, um, helping them look at the marketing of that office and what needs updated in that office um, from a branding perspective and all that. Um, we've seen some of those have been um, delayed. Um, I think that was Joe, you were mentioning that earlier. We're seeing some closings on that stuff getting pushed back a little bit, but nothing's really canceling. People are just the process of, of going through um, is not moving as fast, obviously, as it normally would, and it's delaying a little bit, but um, projects are still, we're still seeing that they're going to happen, and uh, we're still seeing that practices are going to be purchased, and it's just maybe delaying a little bit. Chris, are you getting any uptick on people asking with just accounting purposes that, you know, should I, you know, do a startup instead of, right. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And we typically don't deal with a whole lot of startups The you know, mainly ours are just the tenured, uh, tenured clients are buying existing cash flow. Um, and not to say that we can't, it's just, uh, it's just not, uh, it just doesn't happen uh, for us necessarily. Not that we can't handle it. It's just, it, we don't deal a whole lot with that demographic. Um, but, uh, you know, I like, uh, you know, like Noah said, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's kind of a wait and see on some of those costs. Uh, are the construction costs going to soften and so forth? Um, and then what, uh, you know, what kind of tolerance are, are people willing to, to, uh, to take with the, with the unknowns at this point? But, you know, those startups have such a long runway and, and I myself am cautiously optimistic. I think just the dental industry as a whole is, uh, is going to rebound. Um, people still want to go see the dentist. Um, it's just going to be, uh, you know, just different moving forward. Um, you know, but I, I do think it'll bounce back. Uh, and I, so I myself am uh, optimistic. Well, we have uh, hit our hour once again, and uh, I want to thank everybody for all my team members here, my partners, uh, for coming on board and answering any questions. Uh, the, the two doctors that are on, if you guys have any other questions, you can reach out to any of us. Um, and I will sit there and send everybody's emails so that you can reach out to them individually uh, and uh, ask any further questions that you may have uh, if they wanted to be personal. So uh, once again, thanks everybody for uh, joining and uh, we will talk to you guys uh, the next time in about a month. All right. Thanks, Phil, for putting this together. Thanks. Thanks. See you guys. Take care.